0: Thank you. Good morning, everyone. And thank you, David and Dicky, Becky, Wally, Bruce, for that opening. As you were going through and reading through your verse, and we sung a, a song that was appropriate, I thought, we can just keep going and go through this whole passage and just sing about it. And I thought, ooh, there's a, there's a few challenging verses that I'm not sure we've got a lot of songs that, uh, that apply to this. Um, and very appropriate that we're ending with Holy is the Lord, because that's essentially what our message is about this morning. It's holy living, and just as our Lord is holy, He wants us to be holy in our lives. So this morning we're going to continue our study of 1 Thessalonians. And in 1 Thessalonians, if you've been working through it, the first three chapters of the book included Encouragement for the Christians at Thessalonica, And Paul explained why he's writing that letter to them. And we're getting into chapter 4, and chapters 4 and 5 provide instructions on how they were to live, and likewise how we are to live, and grow in our faith, and live in a way that's going to be pleasing to God. God calls us to love in holiness, in love, and in diligence. Before we get into the Word, let's just turn to the Lord for His guidance, shall we? Heavenly Father, we just pause. We just are in awe and in wonder that the God who created everything we see, the God who is perfect, who is all-knowing, who is holy in all His ways, created us and loved us and still loves us. He loves us so much that He sent His Son because he can't be in the presence of sin. And we thank you for your goodness, your love. We thank you for your Son, for sending us your Spirit. We thank you for your Word, Lord. And as we open up your Word, we pray that you would just help us to understand it and to apply it to our lives. That as we live out what you've asked us to do, we would just bring honor and glory to you. And we ask in the precious name of Jesus. Amen. So again, we're going to be looking at First Thessalonians, starting chapter 4, and we're going to look at verses 1 to 12. And I'm going to start with a few verses from chapter 3, starting at verse 10. If you're following along in the Brown Bibles and the pews, uh, this can be found on page 879. Three verse ten. Night and day we pray most earnestly that we may see you again and supply what is lacking in your faith. Now may our God and Father Himself and our Lord Jesus clear the way for us to come to you. May the Lord make your love increase and overflow for each other and for everyone else, just as ours does for you. May He strengthen your hearts so that you will be blameless and holy in the presence of our Lord and sorry of our God and Father when our Lord Jesus comes with all His holy ones. I'm going to split our passage into three sections, why we're called to live lives pleasing to God, standards for sexual purity, and standards for loving each other, four, one, and two. see. Finally, brothers, we instructed you how to live in order to please God as, in fact, you are living. Now, we ask and urge you in the Lord Jesus to do this more and more. For you know what instructions we gave you by the authority of the Lord Jesus. So, Paul notes that the Christians are living for God already and asks and urges them in the Lord Jesus to do more and more. He's not chastising them for what they've been doing. Actually, he's encouraging them, saying, You know, you're on the right track, and he wants to get them to the next level. He wants them to do it even more, to build on what they're doing. And these instructions are really a commandment from the Lord. And they carry the authority of the Lord Jesus. And Paul notes this a few times in his letter, that the message isn't something dreamed up by man. This is God's word. It's God's authority. And this commandment is kind of like what would come down to a soldier. Just, here it is. Here's the instruction. Here's the command. Your job is to go do it. Having said that, the Saturday's Remembrance Day. And it's a day that we set aside to remember those who gave of themselves, many of whom died, uh, some didn't, but certainly all were changed. Some went willingly, some were told they had to go. One of the reasons that they went was to defend their free people in other countries from those who were trying to take over from outside or from possibly from within. They went out, with the mission to right a wrong. Jesus also went out of his way to right a wrong. He came to earth to address the issue of our habit of sinning, our habit of doing things wrong. And he came to bridge the gulf, the chasm between God and ourselves. And the starting point for the lifestyle that Paul refers to is to know the commander, to know the one that we're called to follow. In essence, it's becoming a Christian. God loves us so much that he sent his one and only son, Jesus Christ, to give up his life for us. And it may seem seem really strange to some, what God wants from us is a relationship. It's not a set of rules and regulations. It's a relationship where we can actually talk and commune with him. And this can only happen... When we stop trying to work or buy or convince God that we're good enough to be with Him, the only way to God is through trusting in His Son. Jesus is the only way to God. And the Bible makes it clear that it's not good enough just to know about God. The Bible tells us even the demons believe in God and they shudder, they're scared about it. We need to acknowledge that Jesus paid the ultimate price for our imperfections and died for us, and to trust Him as our personal Savior and Lord. If we trust in Jesus, if indeed He is our Savior and Lord, that should be reflected in our lives. We all need to live, or we do live, for someone or something. A couple of weeks ago, Bruce Royal asked us a tough question. He said, Are we people-pleasers, self-pleasers, or God-pleasers? And the letter in front of us is clear. We are to live in a way that honors God. Last week, Dave Jenkinson noted, one way to tell if we're living for God is to look at three books. One is, what are we reading? Another was our checkbook. And another was our appointment book. So do our lives reflect what we say about our relationship to God? The writer C.S. Lewis noted, those who did the most in this present world were precisely those who thought the most of the next one. Now, contrary to what some might think, being a Christian is not just a set of rules and living a set of do's and don'ts. It's not something that you can count and say, you know, I did all these good things, I didn't do all these bad things. Oh, gee, the scales are tipped in my favor. I'm good. Being a Christian is about making conscious decisions, though, that will please God. Yes, there are some things that we don't do, or I say we shouldn't do, maybe, because we all fall short and we all do things that we shouldn't at times, don't we? Likewise, there are things that Maybe second or third on our personal I want to do list. But we do them in order to please others. Ever go to a movie or go to some other event because somebody else that was important to you wanted to do that? I think most have heard the term happy wife. And what comes after happy wife comes... (laughs) Happy (laughs) Happy life. I'm assuming, when I say that, happy wife is code for happy husband. I would suggest, though, when we do make these... no Sorry, how much more if we said happy God? Remember, we're doing this. If if you're doing that, it's to please somebody else. How much more if we said happy God is on the other side of that? Happy God... I don't know what rhymes. Happy sod. Oh, okay. Well, we're all sods in a way, I guess. Caught. But pardon? Cod? Bod? Oh, okay. <laughs> How appropriate. <laughs> Maybe it's blessed God, blessed Christian. I don't know. But God is pleased. When we bless him through the decisions we make and through the choices we make, isn't he? God wants us to think and behave like Jesus. I've said this before, and I think it it bears repeating. The goal is that if God looks at you, if he looks at me, he needs to think about our names twice. So, you know, it's hey, Wally, I mean, Jesus. Did he get the names right? Hey, Jesus, I mean fern. He wants us to be closer and closer and just like Jesus in our nature and our character. God's not interested in the status quo. He doesn't want us just where we are. And this is the message that Paul's telling the, the Thessalonians. He's urging them to do more and more. He wants us to grow in our faith and he wants to move us towards perfection. Perfection. The writer to the Hebrews noted something similar to this. He said, you know, you should be ready for solid food. You should be teachers. And yet, you're still not there yet. You're still learning the fundamentals. He wants us to keep moving, to keep growing, to be, keep becoming more like Jesus. And if we're living to please God, the instructions that follow next in the list, this letter are going to be much easier to obey. Verses 3 to 8. It is God's will that you should be sanctified, that you should avoid sexual immorality, that each of you should learn to control his own body in a way that is holy and honorable, not in passionate lust like the heathen who do not know God, and in this matter no one should wrong his brother or sister or take advantage of him or her. The Lord will punish men for all sins, as we have already told you and warned you, for God did not call us to be impure, but to live a holy life. Therefore, he who rejects this instruction does not reject man but God who gives you his Holy Spirit. What does it mean to be sanctified? Anyone? Pardon? Set. Secure. Mm -hmm. Established. Established in the Lord. Set apart for God, yes. Set apart, made holy for God. I think in this context, sanctification is the process in which we sin less, less frequently, and go closer to God as we here obey His instructions for our lives. We're to separate ourselves from those things God tells us are wrong, those things which constitute sin. And this is different, I think, from the, daily, the day Christians will be fully sanctified when we will be sinless, as in without sin completely, when we will be with him in heaven. There are three areas here Paul says need to be addressed. And in the New International Version, you'll find them after the word that in the text. Avoid sexual immorality, control one's own body, and do not wrong a brother. Before I get into this, I want to be clear that while the things I note here are wrong in God's eyes and are therefore sin, the list of things that the Bible notes as sinful go far beyond this. For example, in Mark seven twenty-one to 23, Jesus says, For from within, out of men's hearts come evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, greed. Malice, deceit, lewdness, envy, slander, arrogance, and folly. All these evils come from inside and make a man unclean. Now some of these things are more obvious and quote-unquote public than others. We're all imperfect, we all sin, and we all need to turn to God for His forgiveness we all need to lean on his grace. And we all need to seek to draw closer and obey and draw closer on a daily basis. We also need to be careful about how we treat others based on the external things we see. We're all made in the image of God. So the first item that Paul notes for us to be set apart is to avoid sexual immorality. And it comes from the word pornaya. And it's sometimes translated fornication. God's design for sex between, was between a man and a woman in the confines of marriage. And we see this from the beginning in the, of the Bible in the book of Genesis. Genesis 2, 30, verse 21 says, So the Lord God caused man to fall into deep sleep. And while he was sleeping, he took one of the man's ribs and closed up the place with flesh. Then the Lord God made a woman from the rib he had made out of man, taken out of the man, and he brought her to the man. The man said, "This is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman, for she was taken out of man. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and they will become one flesh." Anything outside of this is sexual immorality. There's no middle ground. It runs contrary to God's expectation of holiness in our lives. It's interesting to note that in Paul's days, sexual promiscuity was not only accepted, it was encouraged. This also applies to priests in Greek religion and extramarital sex was sometimes considered an act of worship. Greek and Roman men took boys under their wings, so to speak. Interesting. We may have made huge strides in technology, in our standard of living, in our knowledge of so many things. And yet, for the most part, we really haven't progressed in our love and obedience to God, have we? Some individuals, yes. Society as a general, I would suggest no. I do appreciate some people who challenge my interpretation of the Bible on the premise that the context in which Paul's letter was written is different from today. And people might argue with me that God's intention does therefore go beyond the traditional definition of marriage. Others will suggest the marriage ceremony is a man-made thing, and so it doesn't really matter. Uh, I respect that people would have different opinions on this and different perspectives. And I also appreciate that this in some ways seems to set the bar higher for some people than others. Again, I think it's important that we treat each other respectfully and in love, even when we differ on interpretation. Again, Jesus gave his life for all of us. The second thing Paul noted is that each person should learn to control his own body in a way that is holy and honorable. It's interesting when I was looking into this, some suggest the interpretation here refers to the man learning to control his wife, referring to the wife as his body. I'm going to suggest, suggest that that's not quite what it means. <laughs> and that this applies to both men and women. For example, in 1 Corinthians 6, starting at verse 13, the second half of verse 13, Paul writes, The body is not meant for sexual immorality, but for the Lord, and the Lord for the body. God raised the Lord and will also raise us up by His power. Do you not know Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit? That Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God, you are not your own. You, we, were bought with a price. So glorify God in your body. Tough message. Well, Paul didn't have a lot of practical guidance on this. We do have the Holy Spirit to guide us, don't we? We simply need to be attentive and obey. Has everyone remembered shows, seen shows where somebody would think of doing something and there'd be a little caricature of a devil on one side, saying, yeah, yeah, go do it. And on the other shoulder there's an angel saying, no, don't do it. And they'd kind of battle and the person would go one way or the other. I don't know if they still have any of the shows on anymore. Now it seems like there's the devil on both sides saying, just do it, it's fine. Uh, unfortunately. And The message seems to be, you know, it's okay. I don't know if this is just as true as I'm watching or if I need to change and reconsider, <laughs> but uh, perhaps that's in there too. The, when, when I go like this, there's four, three, at least three fingers pointing back at me. And the world today seems to say though, it's all okay. And, You know, those of us who might disagree with that perspective, we're told that we're the ones with the problem. Sometimes we'll be branded as haters and we just have to get on with it and accept that we're wrong. Not so sure. Certainly that's not what God tells us and what we're called to follow. So how does one flee from sexual immorality in a society where it's so blatant, it's so in your face? For some... It might be finding something else to do that puts a focus on God instead of viewing inappropriate material, whether it's on paper or on a screen of some sort. What goes in eventually affects what we believe and then what comes out. Paul notes that the problem is lust, not love. Thomas Aquinas noted, Man cannot live without joy. That is why one deprived of spiritual joys goes over to carnal pleasures. Perhaps it's avoiding certain events where you know things happen because people will get carried away. At the very least, you need to be on your guard. For example, it's pretty scary to think that there are people out there who would be willing to drug you to get what they want. For others, it might be something more subtle. For example, I would suggest that a good practice would be for a man and a woman not to to avoid being alone in a secluded place even if it's the home or the church building when possible. Unless they're married to each other, of course. Some may scoff and say, you know, that's ridiculous. This could, however, avoid a possible temptation that might grow over time. Something that might turn into desire. In James 1, 15 and 16, we're told that each one is tempted when by his own evil desire he's dragged away and enticed. Then after desire is conceived, it gives birth to sin and sin, when fully grown, gives birth to death. Setting boundaries also has the practical benefits of preventing both the appearance of any improper behavior and the opportunity for someone to make an accusation against an individual. Paul uses the example example of Gentiles or heathen in some versions of the Bible as people who can't or won't control their own bodies and notes that the reason is they don't know God. Essentially, they won't acknowledge God, and they've turned from worshiping the Creator to the creation. It's impossible to live a holy life, to live a life set apart and dedicated to God if we don't know Him to begin with. If you're a Christian, you belong to God and His Spirit dwells within you. Each choice we're made, sorry, each choice that we have draws us either towards Him or pushes us away from Him. And our choices reflect what's in our hearts. We can't have it both ways. The third aspect of being sanctified or becoming holy in this section is that no one should wrong a brother or a sister in Christ. No one should be taking advantage of them. We're pretty good at justifying our actions, aren't we? I wasn't the only one. There's a whole bunch of them, they're all doing it. The more people that we can get on that, doing that same thing, whether it's right or wrong, the more the stronger our cases that it's okay. Just because you or I want to do something that's wrong or right doesn't mean it's right to drag somebody else into it. We might initiate an action but the other person is still responsible for their response. Adam was responsible for his own action when he ate the forbidden fruit, even though he tried to blame Eve for that. And this is important for two reasons. The first is, God will punish both parties, something that Thessalonians had been told and warned about before. The second is that this behavior is the opposite of what God calls them, called them and what he calls us to do. God calls his people to be holy and sexual immorality is just the opposite. You can get an idea of how important the word this is by looking at the words holy or sanctified in this letter. They're found over and over through this letter. In verse 8, Paul sums up this little section on holiness by reminding Thessalonians it isn't something he or another person dreamed up. These are God's instructions for us. Anyone rejecting these instructions is therefore rejecting God. Pretty scary, isn't it? Again, the messages around us seem, it's okay, Everyone doing, everyone's doing it, nobody cares. As long as it's consensual, we're all good. Sorry, that's not what God intended, nor is it appropriate in his eyes. The Holy Spirit, note the adjective on that one, Holy Spirit, guides us and has the power to help us avoid sexual immorality. In Second Th- Thessalonians 1 and 11, Paul writes, with this in mind, we constantly pray for you that our God may count you worthy of his calling and that by his power he may fulfill every good purpose of yours and every act prompted by your faith. The Gospel isn't just a nice story for weak people in society who can't make it on their own, so they need a God to invent and look up to. God has, and he continues to demonstrate his power in creation, in salvation, through Jesus, through his Spirit, through those who trust in him, and in many other ways. We just need to tap into that power source. To paraphrase something Philip Yancey notes in his book, Vanishing Grace, he says, Jesus solves our search for significance. He offers us a relationship with the Father. Our significance is bestowed, not earned. We should therefore treat others on the same way we've been treated. We aren't better, only forgiven. Better to give than receive. Blessings come from the service of others. This leads to the third section in our passage, Standards on Loving Each Other. While God is everywhere, I tend to look up. I think of God being up. And then we also look across or horizontally at our fellow Christians. Jesus said the two greatest commandments are to love God with all your heart, soul, mind, strength. And the second commandment is to love neighbor your, as yourself." yes. Look up, look across." In Romans 13:9, Paul writes, "The commandments: "Do not commit adultery, do not murder, do not steal, do not covet." And whatever the commandment there may be, are summed up in this run, one rule: love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no harm to his neighbor. This also includes not getting your neighbor into trouble. Now, about brotherly love, we need not write to you, for you yourselves have been taught by God to love each other. And in fact, you do love all the brothers throughout Macedonia. Yet we urge you, brothers, to do so more and more. The Thessalonians were relatively new to the Christian faith, yet they already learned to love and support one another. In 2 Corinthians 8, Paul notes that the grace God had given the Macedonian churches of which Thessalonica was included, in which they pleaded for the privilege to share their resources with the poor people in Judea, the saints in Judea, even though these people themselves were poor in terms of, in material terms. Paul says, and though they did not do as we expected, but they gave themselves first to the Lord, then to us in keeping with God's will. Note the order. God first then it pours out to others. And while the Thessalons were doing well, there was still room for improvement. The same applies to us today. We're a family, and we have a common bond in the Lord. Have you ever noticed, if you go on vacation or you go to visit somebody, you go to town, you go to another church, how it just feels like you're meeting long-lost cousins? We may be closer to some of our, our siblings in our family, Some we get along with better than others. Some we may disagree or even at times argue with. But has anyone ever noticed how your relationship with your siblings gets better as you get older? I hope, anyway. God wants us to continue growing, to become more like Jesus. And we need to be disciplined in our everyday lives if we're to become more and more like Jesus, aren't we? Paul told the Thessalonians in verse 11 and 12, make it your ambition to lead a quiet life, to mind your own business, to work with your hands, just as we told you, so your daily life may win the respect of outsiders, so you will not be dependent on anybody. This was another way to demonstrate Christian love. It's probably safe to assume that there were some in the church who were disturbing the peace, so to speak. Otherwise, Paul wouldn't have had to, to say this, would he? To lead a quiet life in this context is not necessarily about being silent, although that's important at times. It's about slowing ourselves down instead of running from one thing to another to another and filling the schedule right to the brim, right till the time your head hits the pillow. It's having a sense of peace about you that rubs off on others. It's making time and being in the right frame of mind to listen to Jesus and to hear what he's telling us. Anyone here not been told at some time in their lives to mind their own business? <laughs> Again, we're not told exactly what it happens, but it seems some people needed the reminder. There are times we need the right person to tell us when we're going off the rails, though, or when perhaps we're going in the wrong direction. And I trust that we'd all be open to receiving correction at some time uh, trusting that it's being done by the other person out of love. While we're all accountable to God, it's probably not a bad idea to have somebody here that we're accountable to, that helps keep us on track. The Greeks had no use for manual labor, and they left that to the slaves whenever possible. The Jews, on the other hand, saw huge value in this, and children would be taught a trade. Paul notes It's not only acceptable to work with one's hands, it's proper and it should be done. I figure they have the same challenge I do. Born good-looking instead of rich, so got to work. It's one of the ways God provides for our material needs and gives us the opportunity to participate financially in his work elsewhere. Message, if you're capable, we should all be working. And some people can't for various reasons and that's fine too. Knowing God, though, doesn't mean that your bank accounts is going to suddenly skyrocket, as some would suggest. God looks to meet our needs, not our greeds. Paul notes that citizens who lived good lives, minded their own business, worked hard to provide for themselves, but also win their respect of others. They would appreciate not having to support these other people, those people who could but chose not to support themselves. He doesn't say everyone has to be self-sufficient, nor does he say work should be the only thing that's important in life. All of us, however, need to take responsibility for ourselves and for our own behavior, and to the extent we can, look after our financial needs. This is just what mature Christians do. So to summarize what we've considered today, we have God's Word, His instructions, and it's not something made up by man. God loves us so much that He sent His Son to die for us and gives us His Holy Spirit to dwell within us. Our response is to accept His calling. His mission, our job, is to love and honor Him in our lives. And in doing so, our priorities will reflect our love for Him and those around us. I wonder if we can just close with we are God's people It is number, I think it's 283 or 284 in our hymn books. Number 283. Heavenly Father, we just thank you for your goodness and your love to us. We thank you that even though we all fall short in in different ways, you love us and you're there to forgive us and just pick us up and help us move forward. We thank you for your goodness and love, for your spirit. And Father, help us all just to draw closer to you and to honor you in our lives. For we ask in Jesus' name, Amen.